Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to share with you this morning. We are uh, in week two of a, of a series on faith. And, uh, you know, we are, we are in the midst of some very interesting times. You're aware of that, right? I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but there's, there's a Chinese proverb that's actually a curse, and it's, I pray that you live in interesting times, uh, you know, because interesting can not always be pleasant, correct? Yeah, in fact, anybody who writes a movie script or a book script, they always build conflict within it because that's what people want to see. That's what people want to hear. And, and, you know, and I, I can speak from personal testimony. I'm fine with boring I am fine with easy. I'm fine with conflictless. I'm fine with peace. That's my idea uh, of, of, of life. Come on, can we hear it? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind vanilla. Vanilla's okay. It's, 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 but, but, but that's not really the, the life we get. And, and what the pastors and I feel very strongly about is we go forward into whatever the future holds uh, for us that we, we need to build our faith, that, that we need faith. I, I, you know, the foundational verses, there's so many great verses in the Bible about faith. In Hebrews 11.6, we shared this last week, it is impossible to please God, to live a life that is pleasing to God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who, who sincerely or, or, or diligently seek him. If you're from a word faith background like I am, you know, you're very well acquainted with the, the scripture, Mark eleven twenty two through 25, and Jesus is teaching this, and he says to his disciples, have faith in God. Have faith in God. That seems like a great place to begin, you know, as, as a Christian. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. That sounds pretty powerful, doesn't it? That sounds pretty amazing. How, how do we get to that place? You know what I'm saying? That, that place where, where, where we can begin to see mountains move metaphorically and physically, you know, th- those kinds of things. And, and I, I think it's important, though, for us as we, we ask ourselves those questions to contextualize what faith is and what faith isn't. Now, this, these are some things I believe about faith. These are Reese Bowling's opinions. You can, you can write them down. You can muse on them. You can disagree with them. You can send Eliphaz emails about them, not me. You, you, you can... <laughs> That's fine. But here's what I believe of faith. I, 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 I don't have faith that nothing bad can happen to me. I don't have faith for that because bad things happen to good people. And I, I think I'm a pretty decent guy. Not always, but, but bad things happen to good people, things that they don't deserve, things out of the round. But, but I do have faith that no matter what the devil throws at me, with God's help, I can overcome it. The Bible does not refer to me as the trodden and the beat up. The Bible refers to me as a Christian as an overcomer, which, which means I've overcome something. There has been something that has happened to me that I've gotten on top of, okay? It hasn't defeated me. And so I don't believe bad things 
can you know, never happen to good people. I don't have faith that I will never experience loss. I've never known anybody who didn't experience loss at some point in some way in their life. But I do have faith that whatever I lose, God can restore. God can restore. The devil cannot take from me what God has intended for me to have. It's not in his capacity. I don't have faith that people, including me, will always do the right thing. Anybody in this room always do the right thing? Anybody online, you always do the right thing? Yeah, no, no, no. Look, there is no perfect marriage. There is no perfect church. There's no perfect family, no perfect business. Uh, There's no perfect government. But I do have faith that God can and will use broken people. That means he can use me and you and everybody else. And that no person can curse me beyond God's ability to bless me. You know, people can come in and do stuff to you. Devil stirs them up. They go, they go, they go stupid, as, as one guy used to tell me. That's a bad word. I know that old guy. It's, we don't say that word, stupid. Now, we don't do that. It's, it's, it's a personal joke. I'm sorry for bringing it in here. But, but the point of this is, you know, that, that people do not have the last say in what my life is going to look like. You know, including me, I can make some really bad mistakes, and I can overcome them because of the grace of God. Amen? I have faith for that. And I don't have faith that I will always understand why. Because there's some stuff that's gone on in my life that I don't understand why. There's stuff that's gone on in other people's lives. I don't know why that happened. But you know something? I do have faith that if I keep in fellowship with God, Despite my doubts and questions, I will overcome. You know, in studying for this, this passage, I was watching a, a short teaching of Timothy Kellers, who, who, who passed away recently. He, he was a pastor in New York City, and he was sharing about a class he took in seminary on the book of Job. Now, you're familiar with the book of Job and how, you know, Job had all of these trials and tribulations. The devil just kept, you know, raining literal hell down in his life. And Job really got, at some point, he's saying, God, why me? Why me? What's going on? What did I do? You know, I don't understand this. And, and, you know, there was all this comparison between Job and Job's friends, and Job's friends were explaining, well, there must be sin in your life because this wouldn't be happening if there wasn't sin in your life. Just repent. And, and God, in fact, looked at the end of that story and said, Job is a righteous man because, because he's, never, he's never accused me. You guys need to get him to pray for you. And what... Timothy Keller said, his seminary professor said this. He said, do you know what Job's key to overcoming was? He stayed in relationship. He stayed in relationship. He never stopped talking to God. He, even when he didn't understand, even when he was angry, even when he was frustrated, he kept the relationship going. And that's what God asks us to be, in relationship. He doesn't expect us to not have questions. He doesn't expect us to not have doubts. He doesn't expect us to always understand things. But he says, just stay with me. We'll walk this out together. And good things are going to come in the end, just like they did for Job. So those are things to remember. That's, again, Reese's opinion. And we began this, this series talking about faith in God's Word. We talked about why the Bible is a valid, accurate, and, and suitable guide for your life. It's, 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 it's true, and, and why we believe it's true, and, and what it can do for you, and why you should esteem the wisdom of the Word above anything else in your life. Because it's the wisdom that's eternal. 
It was, it was inspired by the creator of the universe. Only he really understands the end from the beginning. The rest of us are still trying to figure this out. But the second part of this series is this. Once we've established faith in the word of God, we need to embrace faith in God's promises. Did you know God has made you some promises? You personally, and me, and everybody else. He's made promises to us. And God is, is different than anybody else you know. It says this in, in the book of Numbers. You can, you can go to Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. There's an amen for any lady in the room, I, you know, if you want to go there. Uh, he is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? God's promises are rock solid. And when you go to the Bible and read it from Genesis to Revelation, you'll read a number of different types of literature. There's poetry, there's, there, there's history, there's covenant-type things. But you'll find throughout the Old and the New Testament Promises. And those promises generally come in two varieties. You have prophetic promises. Not pathetic, prophetic. You have prophetic promises. You have, you have things that God tells people ahead of time and says, this is going to happen. You know, it's interesting, again, in studying this, there, there was uh, some conversation online from one man. He said, when you go to the, the prophecies put out by Daniel and Jeremiah, they are so precise and accurate that skeptics who do not believe in God, atheists and, and, and alike who are academics, say they cannot be true because nobody could get it right that much. And yet, as a person of faith, I think it points to God's amazing glory, that God knew what was going to happen. The whole book of Revelation is prophetic. It tells us of the coming judgment of God and the end of the world and, and how we're, good things are eventually going to happen when this all wraps up. But, but that's a promise that we can put our, our hope in for the future. But what about now? What about here? What about in my life at this moment? Does God have any promises that can help me? I was having a conversation with a, with a young man the other day, and he was saying that from his point of view, Christianity is really good in the eternal. But he, he, he said, what's the practical benefit of being a Christian in the here and now? And I said, a lot. Because there's not only prophetic promises, there are covenant promises. Covenant promises. You guys know what a covenant is? Can you give me, some, give me a, an adjective or description or whatever? I guess it's not an adjective. It's just, what, what is a covenant? Anybody want to volunteer something? An agreement? Okay, that's one word. Is there some other words? Contract. Contract that's a good word. It, it is that. Any other words? Excuse me? Relationship. I, were you in the first service? <laughs> no, as it, as it relates, and this is not my definition. I stole it from the internet. But, but as it relates to God or theology, a covenant is, is, I love this, an agreement which brings about a relationship, an agreement which brings about a relationship of commitment between God and his people. God is committed to you. God is committed to you. God is committed to me. God is committed to the people on the back row. God is committed to the people over here, people online. 
God is not going to walk away from you. God is not going to find someone he likes better than you. He is not going to trade you in on a younger model. (laughs) Seriously. God is never going to be unfaithful to you. He is completely committed to you, and his covenant relationships show exactly what he's willing to do for you. Now, there are two major covenants in the Bible. There's the Old Testament covenant, the Old Covenant, and that was a works-based covenant between God and the people of Israel, and it, it was a good covenant. He said, if you do this and don't do that, I'm going to do this. You know, I'll bless you, I'll increase you, I'll prosper you, I'll protect you, I'll, I'll provide for you. Your life will be, will, will be better because I'm going to be your advocate. And yet, the New Testament talks of a second covenant that's called a better covenant, an improved covenant, because it's not based on behaviors, it's based on grace. It's based on grace. You don't earn God's love, it's freely given. You don't qualify yourself to be considered righteous. He qualifies you to be considered righteous. It's a covenant that will always be there. So, what does a covenant do for us? Well, there's three things about God's covenant with us. The new covenant in Christ's blood that I want you to remember this morning. I want you to write these things down. Think about them. Do this. First, under that covenant, for every problem we have, there is a corresponding promise. 2 Peter 1.4 says this, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. Everybody has issues. Everybody. You know, you can start articulating. Got a relationship issue. Got a job issue. Got a financial issue. Got a health issue. You know, got a kid issue. Whatever the issues are, and you, you, you can, as many fingers as you could possibly hold up on your left hand, which is five for most of us. Metaphorically, on your right hand, there's always a promise to go with every problem. And the hands go together in prayer. I think that's kind of cool on the visual. Problems, promises, they always match perfectly. There is nothing that you're going to go through. There is nothing that you're going to have to deal with that God in his infinite love and infinite power has not said, I have a provision for you. That's the first thing to remember. Second thing I want you to remember is this. For every promise, there is a corresponding action on our part. My part? Yes, your part. For every problem promise, there is a corresponding action on our part that demonstrates faith in that promise. James famously said this, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now, to illustrate that, you remember Peter when he saw Jesus walking on the water in the midst of the storm? And Peter yells out and says, Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. And Jesus says, come, you can do this. What did Peter have to do to experience the fulfillment of that promise? Thank you very much. Get out of the boat. He could have sat in that boat for eternity saying, you know, that's Jesus out there. He told me I could walk on water. How do you? I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I can walk on water. 
but he'd never prove it until he got out of the boat. He had to get out of the boat. Now, in the same way, whatever promise of God you are wanting to embrace and, and, and appropriate for your situation, your problem, your circumstances, there's going to be something you have to do in order to demonstrate faith. Just the way this thing works. Second thing, first thing, every problem has a promise. Second thing, every promise has a corresponding action. Finally, the third thing, this is guaranteed to happen. Satan will try to undermine your faith in God's promises. Peter, again, writing, said this. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him, firm against him, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. We isolate ourselves when we're going through stuff. We pull back, we hide, we stay away from church, we, 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 we you know, escape into whatever it is you escape into. If it's social media, it doesn't really matter. You just want to turn the world off. We write country songs about this stuff. <laughs> you know, make the world go away. No one remembers that one. Golly, okay. <laughs> it's okay, it's probably for the best. Anyway... <laughs> But the point of it is we have this thing and we just we hide because we don't recognize that that's exactly what the devil wants to do. He, he is out there wanting you to believe that God has forgot about you, that God is unfaithful to you, that God has disconnected from you, that God doesn't see your pain, that God doesn't care about your problem. He wants you to buy the big lie. And the big lie is that God did not do everything possible for you to walk in overcoming faith. And yet he did. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At Calvary, he, he says out, it is finished and gives up his spirit. Beginning the reign of Christ is not just Savior, but Lord. Do not buy the lies of the enemy. Do not fail to take action that faith requires. And do not ever believe that your problem is the one problem that there is no promise of provision in the Word of God. So, that's the theory. How do we put it into practice? Have you ever heard the term, I'm standing on the Word of God? Have you ever tried to explain that to a non-Christian? I'm standing on the Word of God. You have this mental image of somebody, you know, with his foot on a Bible, correct? Correct. It sounds a little weird to, to people who aren't spiritually, you know, raised or, or, or been in church. But, but, but the, the concept of standing on the Word of God or standing on a promise of God has been a part of Christian vocabulary for at least 150 years. It, you know, the best I could figure out, it came in in the late 1800s. And it, it came in to, 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 to illustrate or to describe this, this phenomenon of where you take a promise and you put your faith in it, not in the theoretical, not in the broader context of humanity, but for you individually, for me as a person. I'm believing this promise for me. And the way that you begin to live as a Christian, standing on the Word, standing on the promises of God, I believe is, 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 a, is a process. And it begins, number one, with the first step. 
The first step, and, and you can write these down in your phone, whatever, is to write down every problem, challenge, or difficulty you are facing. Write them all down. I don't know what they are. What are you anxious about? What are you worried about? Philippians, Paul wrote this to them. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We live in Christ Jesus by living in the covenant that he brought to us. So why do we hesitate to write down the things that are making us crazy? Why, do we, why don't we have some prayer journal somewhere? Well, you know, this is it. I'm, I'm upset about my health. I'm upset about my, my, my whatever, my marriage, my, my just, you know, write them down. And rather than just hoping that they go away, begin to do something proactive by confronting them, because this is step two, with a promise from the Word of God. Because that's step two. Step one, write down your problems. Step two, write down a promise or promises from the Bible for each one of your situations. Well, some people have asked me, how do I find these promises? They have this amazing spiritual tool out now. It's called Google. You Google promises of God about fill in the blank, and you'll bring it to you. There are also books, bunches of books that are some variation of God's promise for your every need. This is, this is one from my library, and it's, you know, it's, it's written in, you know, it's just scriptures. You know, what does the Bible have to say about, you know, finding the will of God? What about forgiving others, about divorce, about marriage, about family, about, uh, you know, confidence, about troubles, physical illness, financial troubles, you know, being deserted by loved ones, not understanding God's ways, waiting on God. They're all kind of quantified by subject matter in this book, so it's very easy to, to, to look up. You can get one of these in paperback for about five bucks online. Or you can just use Google. I mean, whatever it is you want to do. But they're literally, it's not hard to find a promise if you just take the time to do it. Okay, just do it. Write down your problems. Then you write down the promises. And then we get into step three. Step three is, is critical. We pray the promises, not the problems. We have no trouble sharing our trouble with whoever it is we can find to listen to us. Don't look all pious. I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> I mean, we're all, come on. You, you want, when you're going through it, a lot of people, you want to find somebody, you'll tell a stranger at a bus stop, assuming you ride the bus, that, you know, this is, what's going on? Well, this is going on. Now, some people, no, I don't tell anybody anything. That's smart. Internalize your pain. That should work out really well for you. But you don't need to internalize it because you have a covenant with a committed partner who cares. He's infinitely patient. Infinitely patient. You cannot complain to God so many times that he will say, you know, I'm just done with this person. I'm out of here. <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to ghost them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to block their texts, and I'm just not going to mess with it anymore. God is there. But, but, but how do you do that? Well, in Matthew, Jesus records this amazing passage. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. 
Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. This isn't really that hard, but you just got to do it. Marilyn and Sarah have co-authored a, a short booklet. It's called Speak the Word. It was originally written in 1982, but that doesn't mean it's gone out of style. It's been updated. It was most recently updated in 2021. It's called Speak the Word. Many of you have this. It's just how to pray the promises of God. And then we have a bunch of them available for you at the information center. When you leave, stop by, pick one, two, three, whatever we have left. We, had them, we actually had them flown in. Did you know that we had these flown in by FedEx that so they would be here this morning for you? Yeah, and, and, and because I think this is, these are, we don't want them just to sit. Take them home, read them yourself, give them to friends, pray the word of God, and speak the word is a wonderful gift. Take it and use it. So you articulate the problem, you articulate the promise, and then you pray the promise. And then step four is you act on the promise. What does the Holy Spirit, what, what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? Well, this relationship is all messed up, okay? Apologize. I'm just, you know, well, I didn't do it all wrong. No, you didn't do it all right either. I don't say that. Just what is the Spirit and the Word speaking to you? What is God telling you to change in your life? Change is a really pleasant term for repentance. See, we don't like the word repentance because it's got this negative judgmental connotation. And what God says, repentance is actually life-giving, affirming, empowering. Repentance is where you stop hitting your thumb with the hammer. You understand what I mean? You, know, you continue to self-inflict pain, and God says, look, if you'll stop that, your thumb will get much better. And you can extend that to all kinds of other behaviors. There's just stuff that we shouldn't do. And God says, if you're living in faith, if you're, if you're not focusing on the problems and self-medicating and self-treating and self-diagnosing and self-solving, and if you're giving up your answers that aren't working, and you go back to the Word of God, and you say, by faith, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to treat others better than they treat me. I'm going to believe that God's going to turn this around. I'm going to believe that if I speak life, that, that, that my heart can be changed, that my circumstances can be changed, that people can be changed because I'm different and I become contagious and bring healing and solution and, and stuff. I believe that I can become a different person. I don't have to stay this way. <laughs> Are you happy about that? I'm glad. You <laughs> Forget it. You act on the promise. And the final, the fifth step, is you deal with the darts. There is this powerful scripture in Ephesians about taking up the full armor of God. And at the very end of that passage, it says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And there's this really cool picture I found online of this Roman soldier. I think that's handsome. You know, look, look at that guy. He's got his spear, he's got, you know, he's got his gladius, his sword on the side, he's got a, got a, a you know, a cool helmet, he's got kind of a quasi-breastplate, but, but he, in front of him, he's holding up a shield. Now, what's cool to me about that, that picture is the enemy is not in front of him. The enemy is a distance away, and he is trying to get to his enemy, and the enemy is trying to keep him from getting there. The darts keep you away from reclaiming what the devil has stolen from you. 
Do you, you understand the analogy? He keeps shooting. You know, it, it, draw this kind of picture in your mind. Imagine you had been, been gifted amazing Christmas presents one year. You know, some billionaire randomly picked your name out of a hat and chose to bless you. And underneath your home's Christmas tree this year, you got everything you've ever wanted. It's all piled up there. And somebody came in at midnight on Christmas Eve and stole every one of your Christmas gifts and took them down the street, and you know where they are. Are you going to sit there passively and simply let them take all that stuff? Or are you going to get your SUV, throw the back seat down, and drive down the street and pick the stuff up? You're going to go get it. But the problem is, before you ever get there, he starts discouraging you, making it difficult, telling you, you're never going to get this back. You're never going to get this back. You're never going to, no, 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 no. In fact, somebody took it because you left the front door open. That's on you. You were there, and then you had the big front windows, and then you told your cousin Fred about it, and cousin Fred blabbed it all over town. And really, it's all on you that all your stuff got stolen. You deserve this, really. You're really a pathetic person. You, uh, that, he picked the wrong name out of a hat. Somebody better than you should have got that. You know, that's all going through your head. Those are all fiery darts. And what God said, and this is not a materialistic thing, those, these presents are not money-based. They're love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering and self-control. Dear Jesus, give us self-control. What would you, what would you give for self-control? What a, what a critical key to being able to live in freedom and, and, and health. Those are the things that the enemy has taken from you. And you have to resist all of his efforts to discourage you before you get to his front line so you can take him back. That's living by faith. That's standing on the promises. And finally... You keep perpetually reminding yourself that you're in a covenant that cannot be broken. It cannot be broken. There is nothing anybody, including you, can do to invalidate God's promises over your life. I'm a pastor. We do life with people. We've seen people give up on spouses, sometimes with good reason. We've seen people go through terrific seasons of pain and suffering. We've walked with it with them, but, but in the midst of it all, the thing that helps people overcome this broken, messed up, imperfect world is the unshakable, unbreakable, incredible covenant that we have with our creator and the creator of all heaven and earth through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That covenant is what we put our faith in eventually. That's it. That's the foundation. And then we find the promises, and we stand on the promises, and we stop allowing our minds to tell us there's nothing we can do. Maybe there's not in the natural but there's always something in the spirit. And so we go back to this concept of standing on the promises. And I told you it entered the Christian nomenclature. They believe in the late 1800s. And the reason they believe it was in the late 1800s is because of a song that was written in 1886. 
It's a classic hymn. How many of you have ever heard the hymn, Standing on the Promises of God? You guys all know that? Okay. Congratulations for the rest of you. You're going to learn a new song today. Because I invited Carrie and Debbie Reddidall, who are two of our wonderful church members, to lead us at the end as a communion piece. Now, the ushers, if you have not yet received your communion elements, because we are going to, to break bread together and remind ourselves of this covenant. So you will all need this. We're going to do this together after Carrie and Debbie lead us in the song. So I invite you to stand to your feet. If you don't know the words, they will be on the screen. But, but, but pay attention to these words. Because the reason I asked them to sing this song is because what this song says is critically important to our success. Mr. and Mrs. Reddit. Test, 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 test. Test. Let his praises ring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God My Savior Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing, standing so the cracker is on top and uh, open it up if you would and simply hold it in your hands and, and, and pray for yourself as I pray for us all 
You know, Father, I hold in my hand a small square of unleavened bread. And it was a reminder in one way of the Old Testament, the covenant you had with the children of Israel as you led them from the, the place of slavery, the place of captivity into the promised land. God, we confess our own slavery. We, we have been slaves to sin, slaves to fear, slaves to doubt. But Christ, you, you just walked in faith. You walked in an assurance that you knew who you were. You knew who God was. You knew the, the power of his word. That nothing, nothing was going to happen that would stop his will from being done. We remind ourselves that, that is the covenant that we live in as we partake of your flesh. Let us eat. If you turn it over and away from you and open it, hold it in your hand. Father, this is, this is the juice of the grape. symbolic of the blood of Christ. Scripture says there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. But it also says that there's no sacrifice we can make that can cleanse us completely of the stain of sin. But a sacrifice was made. A lamb was sacrificed. A lamb without spot or blemish whose blood was more than powerful enough to cleanse everyone who puts their faith in it from all of their sins. And so we do that. We put our faith. We confess that, that you are our Savior. We declare ourselves righteous, not out of a sense of pride or arrogance, because there is no, there's no justification for that. We declare ourselves righteous because you declare us righteous. We ask God we would walk and build on this covenant, that we would not simply experience the cleansing, the deliverance, the freedom, but that we would embrace living, living with you, God, in, in, in covenant relationship, in unbreakable relationship, building on the promises, God, that says that, that we can live for Christ. Come in and just touch us powerfully. Touch everyone who's online, everyone who's in person. By that, affect our lives in the here and now, God, not just in the future. In Christ's name we pray. Let us pray. If you would just close your eyes for just a moment. Since the Spirit of God wants to continue to minister, this is the place where you, you can just simply be completely honest with God. If you've never asked him into your heart, you said, you know, God, I, I don't know how to be a Christian, but I believe in God, and I believe in you, and I want to be. I want to be a Christian. That's where you just say, Lord, come in and show me how. Show me how. Help me. If you're living in guilt about something, don't don't. The Bible says that if you will confess what you've done wrong, he will always forgive you and always cleanse you. 
If you're in fear or anxiety, this is where you just begin to say, God, how do I cast that aside and replace it with faith? Help me to live this, this practical Christianity. Show me how to live differently than I've been living. Minister to each and every one here in this place. Bring hope. Hope and peace to every troubled soul. To every troubled soul. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he illuminate your steps so you can walk boldly into the future he has for you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.